Kylie Ward Cullinan first heard the call of God when just a little girl of seven years of age. After an interesting journey through high school and college, where many of you here will remember her as a student, Kylie worked full-time for the Seventh-day Adventist Church for 16 years as a pastor. She worked as a local church pastor and was commissioned there and concluded that season of service with a special service to the New Zealand Pacific Union as a department director of four really important nurture and discipleship departments. It was during that time that we shared many projects together as Kylie was the de facto representative of the Institute of Worship right across New Zealand and the Pacific. Kylie works now as a coaching consultant and many of her uh, clients are in fact Adventist pastors. As well as that, she works with foster care children working for justice and social change. She likes to say that she empowers leaders and then works with those whose power has been taken away. Kylie lives in Bega with husband Tony, stepson Jack and tiny dog Daisy. Will you please welcome Kylie Ward Cullinan. Hello everyone. Excuse me, it's really lovely to be here today and I'm really excited to be part of the conversation today. For me the conversation is about diversity and how we as a church do diversity well, male and female, Pacific and Australia, young and old. And I'm also excited because I get a little sense that we might be today adding to the oral history of women in ministry. And I hope one day, 20 years from now, that there'll be a, um, a person doing a PhD in the history of women in ministry in the South Pacific, and they'll be watching these presentations today on YouTube. <laughs> from my earliest age, I dreamed about making a difference in the world. I was a quiet and shy little girl, socially awkward, not very good at school. In fact, those who know me well might be shocked to hear that my grade one teacher said that I would do better at school if I would speak. <laughs> so I'm still a little bit in awe and exceptionally grateful that that dream on a little girl's heart became the opportunity to lead. First as a volunteer pastor, then as a youth pastor, then as an associate and a university student chaplain. I went on to be a sole charge pastor and commissioned in 2006 then a departmental director in the conference, a union director, and finally as a coach and consultant. So how was the journey? Well, I was very privileged to be the first woman pastor in the NZPUC, to be the first female pastor in Victoria, to be the first female union youth director. But I need to let you know, over those years, I saw two things. Firstly, I saw the very best of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I saw grace and love and forgiveness and goodness. I saw functional structures. I saw gift-orientated ministry. 
I saw all the things that make up a healthy Seventh-day Adventist church. And I was proud to be a Seventh-day Adventist. That the Seventh-day Adventist church was more than my membership. It was my iwi and my tribe, my whanau and my family. But I'm sad to let you know that over the last 19 years that I have also seen the very worst of the Seventh-day Adventist church. There have been times that I have cried from the very depths of my soul and I have been more than embarrassed. I have been in despair. If I'm being honest with you today, I need to let you know that it's been hard. It's been hard for three reasons. Firstly, because it's leadership, and anybody who does leadership know that leadership in and of itself isn't easy. It requires character and growth and organisation. It requires us to take a step up above. But it was also hard, secondly, because I'm me, and I came to leadership with my own backpack of things. It wasn't until 2005, after I had completed an undergraduate degree and a postgraduate degree, that I discovered I had a learning disability. I had thought that I was lazy, not understanding that I processed differently to other people. It wasn't until 2010 that I discovered I had severe food intolerances and that every day I would put healthy food into my body and poison myself. But the third reason that it was hard is because women in ministry were so very new. It wasn't that people theologically disagreed with women in ministry, it was that sometimes people hadn't worked with a woman pastor before. They'd sometimes worked with women leaders but not interns and weren't exactly sure of how to guide them along the journey and along the path. The best way I can describe it is to borrow from Think Orange. Dr. Reggie Joyner is the, the leader of the Think Orange movement and a few years ago he bought a motorcycle and his wife bought him some lessons. And so here he was out there learning to ride a motorcycle. And so the instructor put the cones like on the screen along in front of him and said, okay, weave. And so he got round the first one and then the second one, he'd hit it. So he started again. And he'd get round the first one and then maybe halfway round the second one and then he'd hit it. And so the instructor went to the end of the cones, stood right in the path of the motorcycle and said, look at me. Keep the cones in your periphery vision and look to me. Keep the end goal in mind. So Reggie Joyner, a middle-aged man trying to get away from his Volvo, heads his bike in the direction of the instructor and weaves perfectly for the first time. I don't know much about riding motorcycles. I'm, I have to confess to you, I think they're a bit dangerous myself. But I understand that this is true, that when you see motorbikes racing, when they come around those really big bends, their heads are not down like this. Their heads are up 
and looking round the corner, it seems that you can't be strategic with your head down. That you need to be looking to the goal ahead so you can make those subtle adjustments along the way to get you around that corner. In Think Orange, they call it the need for integrated strategy, the need to raise children from the cradle right through to the grave with the end goal in mind. Working carefully, not just putting the little ones down there and hope they you know, get to us when they reach Pathfinders or when they reach Senior Sabbath School, but actually being strategic from the moment they're born till the moment a person takes their last breath. But for me as a, as a leader, I didn't feel like I was working on an integrated strategy. In fact, for me, the journey looked a little bit more like this. It was like I was just trying to deal with every cone as it would come up before me. And I really wasn't sure whether there was an end goal in mind. I remember having a conversation with one of the ministerial secretaries and saying, you know, maybe one day I could have a little church in the country. And he said, oh, I don't think the country will have you. And I responded with all of the energy that 23-year-olds can muster. I turned around to him and I said, you don't have enough faith because if you had enough faith, you would send me to the lions and you would see what God can do. It's a bit nerve-wracking though. Ministerial secretaries become presidents, I assure you. And what I didn't understand then is what I understand now, that that was a man, that man was a man of faith and still is. He was a man of strategy, but he was trying to protect me. I would go to a bookstore every time something happened that I didn't know how to face, and I would look through the, the bookshelves looking for something to help me work out how to do this thing. I have a lot of books. But let me tell you that the first book I ever read on woman pastors was about this amazing woman leader. <laughs> I sense you all love Geraldine. Pastor Joy Carroll was the Anglican Reverend who was the inspiration for the gorgeous BBC sitcom called The Vicar of Dibley. And she wrote a book called Underneath the Cassock. And my beautiful mother found it in a bookstore, in, at the ABC bookstore in Western Australia and posted it to me. She was the first past woman pastor I ever had the opportunity to read about. I felt like um, I was just trying to manage the chaos. And in 2001, one of my friends from university rang me and said, I'm doing this thing called coaching. Well, back in 2001, nobody had ever heard of coaching. And so I said, sure, I'll have a little try. And I loved it. And I did the practice session and I did the initial session and I did 12 sessions of coaching and by the end of it, I was convinced that coaching had the opportunity to help me find the simple path through the chaos. 
And I stand here today because that, those conversations in 2001 ignited a passion in me for thinking, for conversations that can help people find a simple path through each of their own individual sets of chaos. And I stand here today before you as a professional and a seasoned coach because of what I stumbled upon in 2001. But I still felt like I needed a mentor and the conference had tried a few things but nothing really had quite gelled and I had a few very difficult mentoring experiences. And one day I went to a training by Dr John Mallison, the ex-head of the Uniting Church in Australia, who wrote the book Mentoring. And in the morning session I put my hand up and asked some questions and this very important man turned to me, this little intern in, in a, in a you know, Seventh Adventist church, and said, I'll talk to you at morning tea time. I was immediately in the principal's office. So at morning tea time, he, he got his cup of tea and his decaf tea and came um, around the table to, to speak to me. Well, I was very nervous, so I went the, around the table the other way. And he's a very persistent man. He just kept going around the table chasing me until finally he found me and he said I'm going to get you a mentor I didn't really believe him but six weeks later it still burned in my memory sitting on the side of the Melbourne freeway in my blue Astra when the ex-head of the Uniting Church rang and said I found you a mentor the fact that he'd remembered my name was enough for me and he found me an Anglican church priest in the eastern sides of Melbourne who met with me once a month for four years and who laid a foundation of leadership in my life that I still walk on today. She helped me understand that I am a leader, most importantly, of my own life. And then I lead in my family and I lead in my community and sometimes I do positional leadership with teams in regional settings in functional settings to make things work. It just amazes me that in the midst of adversity, I stumbled upon the things that I needed. I'm a woman of faith though, and it seems all too much of a coincidence for me to stumble upon what I need. I don't completely know how God works. The more I get to know him, the more of a mystery I find him to be. But it seems sometimes that coincidence is when God works a miracle, decides to remain anonymous. Because God seems to specialise in building leaders in adversity. The Bible character that I resonate with very strongly is the story of Joseph. Joseph was a young man who had a dream on his heart to lead. But it was not possible. He was one of the youngest children and in his culture, the oldest children led. And he shared those dreams on his heart and he was put in a pit. He was sold into slavery in Egypt. He was then misrepresented in his role um, in his home and he was put into prison. His giftedness was used and abused in prison until finally his, his skills came to the knowledge of the king and he became the prime minister of the nation with the goal of saving people from the famine. We don't know how Joseph felt on his journey. We don't know whether he felt self-pity on the back of the camel. We're not sure whether there was times that his heart was in despair. 
It's not until right at the very end of the journey that we get a glimpse of Joseph's heart. It's Genesis chapter 50, verses 19 to 20. So just to give us a little bit of context, Joseph's now the Prime Minister of Egypt. He's had reconciliation with his family and they have been living with him for seven years. For seven years they've been eating at his table, food fit for kings. But when Dad dies, the brothers are a bit uncertain about whether Joseph will take revenge. And so they kind of do like a, this pack mentality. You, you go and talk to Joseph. No, 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 you go and talk to Joseph. Okay, let's hold hands and go together. They don't understand that when they ask for forgiveness... They're asking for something that Joseph gave them seven years earlier. And so Joseph stands before them and says these most powerful words. Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. I love this text because you can see what Joseph has learnt along the way. He has learnt that God is God and that he is not and that God is powerful and he is still on his throne. And judgment and revenge, reconciliation, consequences, those things come from God. And he, he says what was intended for harm, what was there for adversity is actually what God uses for good. In some versions, it says, what the devil intends for evil, God uses for good. Adversity is where God is at his best, strategically building leaders for his kingdom. Leaders for ministry, leaders for families, leaders for the world. God is strategic in his goal to build mature, grown-up leaders. You can hear the maturity in Joseph. He steps up above the conversation that his brothers are having and he speaks like somebody who is being seasoned by the difficult things of life and stands there with love in his heart. He takes the grown-up ground when he would have every reason to, to, to feel anger and hate. He acts as the grown-up, the more senior party. It makes me ask these questions. Who am I becoming? Am I maturing? Am I becoming a mature, grown-up leader? I'm only halfway through my journey. I can't speak as Joseph at the end of my journey. And I know that God's got stories, adventures and chapters of my life still yet to go. But halfway through my journey, I can say this. That the goal of God has is not a position for me. It's who I become. It's not a destination, but the person I am when I arrive. The God is in the business of building mature, grown-up leaders. As an 18-year-old girl, when I went to university, I knelt beside my bed and said, God, this is too hard. I can't do this. You take my life. You do whatever it is you want to do with it. Let me assure you, that's a dangerous prayer. 
But it was no more than two days later that I got a phone call and I was invited to be part of the Kalani Waters Camporee in Albany, Western Australia in the days that Australia was divided by the Trans-Australian Union Conference and the Trans-Tasman Union Conference. And it gave me a taste for ministry that um, I, I absolutely loved and wanted to be a part of. Partnering with God, I realised, though, is not something you do once. I can't get through a single day without getting down on my knees and asking God to walk on the journey with me, to give me goodness and light and grace and love. Because let me assure you, the darkness tries to overtake us. I work with foster children as part of what I do in my life right now. And let me tell you, I've seen children with sores all over their bodies, with lice in their hair, frightened to eat food. There's a very, very broken world out there and we don't have time to argue about insignificant things. We need to get serious about doing what God calls us to do, to be leaders for his kingdom, to, to restore sight to the blind and to bind up the brokenhearted, to find freedom for the captives. That's what we are all called to and God is on a mission to build each and every one of us to be leaders for his kingdom. He's building leaders from the cradle to the grave, from the moment children come into this world and we hold them so beautifully in our arms until the moment a person takes their last breath and lays down waiting for Jesus to come. Remember that the next leader this church might need is actually at the moment at our feet. God, my God, the God I have experienced is intentional, he's strategic, he's collaborative, he's a coach and a mentor and a friend. And I stand here certain of that today because he did it in me.